Ultra. Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Two Towers, one extremely confusing timeline at a time. That's right. We're talking about timelines today. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. I'm Norman Mitchell. Uh, And today's episode is inspired by a question that we got in our our listener group from um, Tierney Callahan, a former guest of the show and co-host of many wonderful podcasts. Um, She says, Yay or nay on the timeline changes from the books. Where to end, intermingling the stories, etc. Mostly couldn't resist using the word timeline around Cassandra. Thanks, boo. Uh, So, so when we were planning out this week, uh, we decided to just take a look at the timeline as it's laid out in the appendices of the book. And see how that matches up with, if at all, what we understand of the timeline in this movie. Right. Because this movie really only happens over the course of... Like five days? A couple days, at most. Well, it has to be more than five days. Like eight days. Because Gandalf says the fifth day. So, yeah. I don't... Well, let's, like, yeah, let's just get into it. A little over a week. <laughs> this movie takes place over the course of a little more than a week. Hold on to your butts. Um, so, uh, we're looking at the book. Um, this is in Appendix B. Uh, the Great Years. Why are they great? Because it's the end of Sauron. I guess great in, like, not the Tony the Tiger. They're great. Yeah, they're not great years. They're just... <laughs> They're momentous. Yeah, they're okay. momentous. Okay. They're the most legendary heroes of the Third Age rose and defeated Sauron in this time. So we're starting with the the the, the very first scene in the movie. Uh, Gandalf on the twenty third of January, uh, thirty nineteen, Gandalf pursues the Balrog to the peak of Zaraxigil. That's such a cool um word to say. And then two days later, they fight for two days. Yeah. Oh my god. Two days later on the 25th. I think 25th, the movie says three days. On the 25th of January. I guess 23, 24, 25. Yeah, that would be the third I day. I fought with him for three days. Uh, he casts down the Balrog and passes away. He casts down the Balrog and passes away. His body lies on the peak. Mm-hmm. That's metal. Uh, and then we have some fellowship stuff. And then skipping to... The 26th of February. So uh, a month later. Yeah. Breaking of the Fellowship, Death of Boromir, His Horn is Heard in Minas Tirith. Uh, Meriadoc and Peregrine are captured. Frodo and Samwise enter the Eastern Eminule. Uh, Aragorn sits out in pursuit of the orcs at evening. Aomer hears of the descent of the orc band from Eminule. That's a lot of stuff that happens that day. Yep. But that's the that's all the context of the setup of this movie. Yeah, uh, that's the last the the last stuff that happens in the timeline of Fellowship. So, I mean, Frodo and Sam entering that area. I know I'm saying it poorly. Um, Muil. Emin Muil. 
Muil. Muil. I want to say it like mule, but that's not that's not what it is. <laughs> it's mule. <laughs> um, say all the vowel sounds distinctly in Elvish. Okay, uh, but that that's relevant. And then I mean, uh, let's hunt some orc. It happens at the end of Fellowship. Yeah. And then we we catch back up with Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli three days later because Gimli says three days. Right. So no, no sign of our quarry, but what bare rock can tell. Right. Thanks, Gimli. <laughs> Uh, the 27th of February, Aragorn reaches the West Cliff at sunrise. Aemir, against Theoden's orders, sets out from Eastfold about midnight to pursue the orcs. And that's different. Um, because Aemir... Yeah, Aemir kills those orcs the night of that third day that Gimli is talking about. Right, but I mean, like, when we first see Aemir, he's retrieving, um, Theoden's body. body. Yeah. So that is different. Yeah, and it's not called out in... In there. Right. About Theodred. Yeah, I'm not quite sure when he, Theodred dies. Um, that would be in, like, the family tree area, I think. Mm. So that's a little different. And on the 28th of February, so one, two, three days after Boromir dies, Aemir overtakes the orcs just outside Fangorn Forest. At sunset, right? Or sunrise. Uh, the next day, they attack at sunrise. So that's different, too. Because in the movie, they're... It's the middle of the night. The middle of the night. Um, and then the 29th, Merry Doc and Pippin escape and meet Treebeard. Uh, the Rohirrim attack at sunrise and destroy the orcs. Frodo descends from the Emin Muil and meets Gollum. So that's... Yeah. That's a little different, too. And Faramir sees the funeral boat of Boromir. Hmm. I'm more, like, I've always thought it's interesting. The horn of, the horn of Gondor is heard, heard in, in Minas Tirith. It's heard. It's a magical horn. Is that, like, metaphorical? Is it, like, a ghost sound? Or is it, like, this horn is so loud that it echoed across miles? It, it can't be that it's so loud that it echoed hundreds of miles. Is it magically tied to, like... A Bluetooth speaker and Denethor's like set up. Like, <laughs> this is a PA system in Minas Tirith. <laughs> it's just like, oh, the horn. That's some good Bluetooth. <laughs> Magic, baby. Yeah. I mean, sufficiently advanced technology should be indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. Thanks, Isaac Asimov. <laughs> um, so, my biggest question mark of this, I think, is the next day after Mary and Pippin meet Treebeard and Moot begins. Yeah, a day later. That's not how this goes in the in the movie. No. Or at least it doesn't give me that impression. Well, in the book, Entmoot takes a while. Yeah, in the movie, it takes a full day, maybe. A day and a half. Into the night. Yeah. Uh, and then Aemir returning to Edoras meets Aragorn the day after. So they... Well, they... there's no banishing of Aemir in the, in the book. He's at Helm's Deep the whole right, time. Right, right. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... It takes them a full day to meet up with Aragorn after potentially killing Merry and Pippin. Yeah. I like the, I think I like the tension a little more in the movie, um, though it is a little confusing. Because, like, it would make sense. Why would they wait till sunrise? Oh, I guess they, they Well, imagine... they can't see in the dark like orcs can. Yeah, and I guess if they think they're, like, um... Regular orcs instead of Urukai, 
waiting till sunrise makes a little more sense because they're more more vulnerable in the sun. Yeah. And there were regular orcs mixed in with that group. Right. Um, but I guess that would make sense from a tactical standpoint. Yeah. Like, if, as a human, you can't see in the dark, but you know orcs can. Right. Because they were made for it. You don't want to just give them an advantage. Mm-hmm. They wait till sunrise. They probably attack from the direction of the sun. Good old art of war. Right. Like with um, Gandalf and the Hobbit? Yeah. Who's the sun? So on March 1st, uh, Frodo begins the passage of the Dead Marshes at dawn. Entmoot continues. Aragorn meets Gandalf the White. Yeah. They set out for Edoras. So they, they kind of condense these three or four days into like a single day, the way that the movie is presented. A little bit. Because the Dead Marshes thing happens sooner. Um... Well, I I don't really know how long it takes them to travel from... I'm just trying to think about what transitions we see day to night in between right. when they encounter Gollum, because we know they, he encounters them at night. And then I assume that it takes them the next full day to travel into the Dead Marshes. Because they camp in the Dead Marshes at least once. Right. They camp in the Dead Marshes. So, like, they leave the the maze of rocks... Get to the dead marshes. Mm-hmm. Frodo has his issue, and then they camp. But it would take them a while to travel the dead marshes, though, because of that that helicopter shot. It's big. Yeah, they t- it they, it takes them multiple days to travel through the dead marshes, or at least part of the part of one day they camp, and then a full day of travel to get out. Mm. But if you look at a map, like it would take several days to get through the dead marshes, right? Because you know oh, it'd be well, terrible no, actually. Through. Um, the next day, they start at dawn, and then March 2nd, the next day, Frodo comes to the end of Martians. Yeah, but when you look at a map of Middle-earth, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Well, maybe they just cut a corner. Maybe. Because, like, the marshes on the map are big. Because it's not like they're traveling across the whole section. Maybe they just, like, have to cut, make a shortcut through it. Hmm. Maybe. No orcses know the way. It's true. Gollum did know a solid way through didn't have to try to wade and walk around and get yeah. confused. So it takes Aragorn, Gandalf, Legolas, and Gimli a, a day to get to Edoras. Um, from Fangorn? From where they meet him. Which is in Fangorn. Uh, and then then why does it take Aomer like two days? Because he's gathering troops. He's moving with an army, not four guys. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the Rohirrim ride west against Saruman, a second battle of Fords of Aizen, Erkenbrand defeated, Entmut ends in the afternoon. So Entmut takes one, two, three days, mm. and the Ents march on Isengard and reach it at night. Yep. Huh. Okay. So they're marching on Isengard before the Battle of Helm's Deep even begins, right? The timeline in the book? Uh, Ents complete the destruction of Isengard the same... Uh, Battle of the Hornbird begins. Yeah. Yes. Yes, so that happens on the same day. Okay. So that's at least, like, relevant or mirrors to what the movie did, because the the Hornbird is the keep itself. Right. So, and the Ents destroy, uh, destroy Isengard the same day that the Battle of Helm's Deep begins. They, they retreat to Helm's Deep and... The battle be, uh, is at night, that night, like, in the same day. Right. So, 
They stretched that out in the movie. Well, the trees left, had to have left the day before. Right. Like, the trees had to have marched their way to Isengard, or, or out of Isengard, out of Fangorn the day before. Right. Because, in the movie. Right. I guess. Like, because, because Treebeard says, tonight my business is with Isengard, like, but then it takes till dawn for them to actually get there, I guess. I don't know. Like, that part, like, the lines that we have, and then the lighting we see in the movie <laughs> makes that part a little muddled. Yes. Like, because does it just take longer to get there than Tre- Treebeard thought it would? I'm just like, you evacuate an entire city and then fight an army that night? I guess. So Helm's Deep is, like, way further away in the movie. Yeah, it's it's mu- it, must, it must be much closer in the book. Because they're able to reach it and then ready for battle in time. Then again, like, when you really break down uh, travel time in a lot of fantasy novels, and this is also uh, kind of true, uh, this is also kind of true to the way that travel tables are laid out in Dungeons & Dragons, Mm. they're not particularly realistic speeds. Like, a lot of times, travel time is very underestimated or overestimated in books when it comes to travel on foot or by horse. Yeah. So I think that there's some of that is going on for mm. sure. In which both the book and the movie? Uh, yeah, probably. But in the movie that some of that overestimation and underestimation is done just in the name of tension. Right, because like we have Aragorn like dying. Uh <laughs> Yeah, trying to make it more the war attack. Yeah. Cuz I think um I think in the book the guy that shows up at Helm's Deep to, like, save the day as Urkenbrand, I mm. think, if I remember correctly. Well, it says that he's defeated on the day before. So do they retreat, and then they're like, uh, all these giant orcs are coming. I think so. The timeline probably points it out at some point. But I think it's Urkenbrand. I might just be confused because he's, like, one of the other named Rohirrim whose name I can actually remember because yeah, because I just said it. <laughs> not just that, like... It's a name that I know mm-hmm. from the story because it sticks out like Lorfindel. Yeah. Like, it's just, for some reason, like, that name is just easy to remember. Urkenbrand sounds like a background Shakespeare character. Yeah, a little bit. Like Rosencrantz, Guildenstern, and Urkenbrand. Those three right. dudes. He's, he's, the, he's the third member of their crew. <laughs> Poor Urkenbrand. I knew he well. It sounds vaguely Danish. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the point? He's got a good, like, Norse belt or Norse bent to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, let's see, this is Althaid and Gandalf sacking Isengard stuff. Uh, Frodo, so, on March 7th, uh, five days after, um, they reach the end of the marshes, uh, Frodo's taken by Faramir to Henneth Anun. Five days after reaching the end of the marshes, so this is after Frodo has looked at the Black Gate. Yeah. And then the next day he leaves. Yeah, because Faramir's nice in the book. Right. He's a fine, upstanding man. And then, yep, that's all, that's all two tower stuff. That's all movie. Movie stuff, rather. And then in the book, of course, it we just get the Kira Thungle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all the events of Kira Thungle happen in the, in the book. Right. So. When, I, okay, when it's laid out like that, like, not a lot happens. It, or at least, I mean, a lot does happen. Like, the, the timeline in the book is very condensed, mm-hmm. like in the appendices. 
So, like, does the... When you think about it in the the way the events occurred, and you lay it out like that in that condensed timeline, mm-hmm. and then you lay out the events of the movie, trying to lay them out in, like, a similar way... Yeah. Like, the movie seems to have considerably more, like, tension and urgency with the way that everything is put together. Mm-hmm. I mean, Edmund takes, Edmund takes three days in the book. Right. Well, that's a long when, time. That's when Mary and Pippin are drinking the end draft. Yeah, all all the stuff with Mary and Pippin happens across those three days. Yeah, they're being looked after by another Ent mm-hmm. who has similar problems with Saruman, who's just like, I hate that asshole up there in that tower. <laughs> just keeps killing my trees. I like these trees. I hope they do something about it. So, ultimately, I think that the changes to, I guess, the order of things. Or, or not even necessarily like the order of things, but like the changes of some of the stuff to allow for more, like more action in between events mm-hmm. helps the tension of this movie. Because I think otherwise they would have kind of been forced to put Shelob at the end of this movie just so that there feels like there's more like tension in this part of the story. Well, I don't think. I don't necessarily agree with that because, like, you can write a script that just says the battle occurs, but like you have to, you have to illustrate a battle. Like, yeah. you have to spend some time with it. So, like, just co- like condensing it into little bullet points is one thing, but like, I would still be exhausted at the end of this movie if we went from like it was a, like thirty five minutes shorter, piece, and then we have to go fight a giant spider. Yeah. Like, see, it's one thing. So here's something that, yes, it's kind of exhaustingly long, but I actually don't think this is something that uh, Revenge of the Sith did poorly. The way they intercut the fights at the end with Yoda and Palpatine and Anakin and Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan mm. worked, worked for me when I saw that movie the first time, like in the theater. I've only seen that movie once, and it was well over a decade ago. Grant, and like... Those are one-on-one fights, and it's, like, the last 40 minutes of the movie. Right. Those are one-on-one fights, and, like, say what you will about the prequels, uh, you... They made me care about Obi-Wan. You have these, like, established, like, showdowns happening. Like, you care about at least one of these fights. Yeah. At least a little bit. Especially because of what you know going forward with the 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 four five and six you yeah. know so like but with a a battle is different than like a showdown that's true but if you've done your job well and you arrange the battle around your main characters well you get that i think you can keep that same emotional impact so you think that intercutting intercutting the fight with shelob with the fight in helm's deep could have worked but then like I feel like then the timeline is even more muddled because we're, we're like scrambling, trying to figure out, okay, when do the trees burn down? Like, when do the trees destroy Isengard? And like, when are they fighting these orcs? And like, when are Sam and Frodo like doing their Sam and Frodo? Yeah. And I mean, the story. Like, they don't fight Shelob. If, if you're sticking to like some remnants of the timeline in the book, they don't fight Shelob till like two weeks after the battle. Right. Well, and I mean, and the movie also holds Frodo and Sam hostage with Faramir yeah. to keep their timeline in line with everybody else. Right. Because you can't, like, I mean, you could, but then it's... And then it gets more they're, confusing. They're spinning their wheels, and you can't have that happen with the main character of the movie. Right. I mean, that's what they're kind of doing with Frodo. 
for a big portion I mean, of this like, movie. I mean, in the in the third one. Yeah. If you have one. the fight with Shelob in this movie. But, like, in another way, like, the fight like, with Shelob opening Return of the King, or, like, being one of the first big set pieces of Return of the King, uh-huh. is such a big climactic thing in the first part of that movie. Yeah. Well, then you have all the battles in the right. second half of the movie. Right. But then you have, you have like, two, you have two climaxes. You have, like, five. You have, like, five climaxes. (laughs) But, like, you know what I mean? Like, the fight with Shelob is, like, the kind of fight that ends a story. Right. And I mean... But it doesn't end the story. But it doesn't end the story. It's not the end of the story. But it's the the end of a book. And, like, it's the kind of fight that was written to be the end of one part of a story, not the the beginning of one. But it would be exhausting to do all of this and then cut to Shelob. Right. Inside one movie. Granted, if you were trying to condense other parts of the movie to accommodate that, you you don't have Aragorn almost die. Right. You don't have the warg attack, which is a, an action set. Yeah. Piece. You don't do the warg attack. You don't deal with Aragorn leaving and having to come back. You don't have that exposition Gandalf scene. But, like, <laughs> at the same time, it's all about the best way to build tension. Right. So, if you remove those things... Then the tension leading into Helm's Deep isn't the same. I mean, it. it is and it isn't. Like, you you spend more time with these well, characters, you, like, traveling. Like, you you invest in their, in their culture and their way of life that they're trying to save. Right. Um, and then it's not about Aragorn. Which, in itself, is a little problematic because we need to care more about Aragorn going into the next part of the story. Right. But we also need to care about Theoden, otherwise his sacrifice doesn't feel earned. Right. And, yeah. So it's... It's a balancing act. Like, there's is. a lot of characters in the story who who are important to the narrative. And they did some shuffling around and, and it's not deleting. Like, it's not like we're saying that we could have done it better, because I don't think I could oh, have. Oh, absolutely not. Like... But when I look at things, I'm just like, if you're trying to line it up more like the book... Mm-hmm. There are things in the first half of this movie you didn't necess- you you didn't have to do the way you did, right? If you were going to try to line it up more with the story structure of the books, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, moving Shelob out of this movie, I think was a good call. I remember being really mad about it when I was but a wee lass. Yeah, I remember when I saw this movie in theaters, and I was just like, "But where's the big spider? <laughs> like this just ends like this." Spider, spider, you're like pounding on the armrests of the chair. <laughs> You know, it's 2002. I was 14. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, 14. I don't know. How old are you? <laughs> I just do a quick math in my brain. I was like, but where's Sam versus the big spider? Like, but if you're looking to build tension into a third movie, like, I act- I think that the most tense way that this movie could have ended was believing that Frodo is dead with Sam picking up Sting, the ring, and the file. Oh, my God. But, like... Then what What are they doing in the third movie? Well, I don't know, but... <laughs> They're just walking. I mean, you still have all the betrayal with Gollum stuff. Yeah, but like... But you don't have you don't have this big action set piece in the first 50 minutes of but the movie. But part of, like, the most... Part of Gollum's betrayal is, like, them him trying to feed them to the spider. Right. Like, I guess you don't have the fallout of that or the resolution of that, but, like... But, like, you know what I mean, though? Like, that would be a way tenser place to end a second movie. Yeah. I, I... But that kind of thing also might work better. That would be really ballsy. Right? I know. I would have, like, I would have cheered in the theater. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, that's awesome. 
Just like all these people that haven't read the story would just then think Sam is going to be the hero of the third movie. Well, then, like Frodo is dead. But if they had done that, would they have like done the fake out with Aragorn? That's not really even a good fake out. No, I think you just have to remove that completely if you were going to end with Frodo. Because you can't like by the fake kill both of your heroes. Right. I mean, they already did it with Gandalf. Yeah, I mean, but their hands were tied on that one. Yeah. Like, that is that is something you just absolutely can't change from the source material of this story. Right. You, you cannot change the Gandalf the Grey becoming Gandalf the White thing. The Balrog is too iconic. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That would have scarred me. Like, I would have known, like, because I read the books first, but, like, that would have, that... And how much, like, how much buzz would there have been, like, oh, my God, did they actually change the last part of this story? <laughs> well, the people who know, know. Right. But, like... Even then, like you have to, you have to ask yourself as someone who read the book, if a if a movie ends like that, are they changing things for the third one? Well, you can't. Frodo lives. That's the whole point. Frodo lives. Yeah, <laughs> right. But like, how ballsy are you, Peter Jackson? Oh my god! Can you imagine sitting on that cliffhanger for a year? Oh man, oh, it've been beautiful. Kids would have been crying at Christmas time. Like then again, that's also the kind of cliffhanger that works better in like a miniseries or a weekly TV show. Mm. Not a movie. Like, ending a season on that. Yeah. Like, that's a season ender. Yeah. Or even, like, like a six-part miniseries. Like, that's the end of, like, part four. And then you wait, like, two more weeks for the next one. <laughs> oh, my God. That sort of thing. Like, stuff like that is... I don't know. Well, if they had done it as, like, a season of television per book, that would be your season two ender, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah, definitely. It's uh, It feels like a really good cutoff point to build tension. Mm-hmm. Like, is Frodo dead? Like, that being a big question, like, leading into your season three. Yeah. It's like, that's good. It keeps people interested. Right. Like, that's the point of cliffhangers at the end of seasons is so that people continue to talk about it in between. Right. But, yeah, again, I don't know if it would have... I don't know if it would have worked in a, in a movie. What do you guys think? Let us know. Yeah, because I mentioned that exact thing when we were talking about yeah, Nile. Yeah, and yeah. I'm just like... If I was gonna, if you were gonna condense and rearrange this movie, and you were, and you knew that you had to put Shelob in it because people were expecting it, like that's where I would choose to cut it off. But even then, by not including Shelob in this movie, they are already subverting expectations. Right. But not in like a "oh my god" kind of way. Right. Exactly. <laughs> not in a way that like creates a. I don't know, like a, a like buzz. a visceral reaction. Yeah. Yeah. But I think if, if they felt like they had to include Sheila because Sheila is the end of Two Towers, mm-hmm. I think that that's where I would have chosen to put the cutoff, is believing that Frodo is dead, Sam taking up Frodo's things and being like, I'm going to go, I'm going to finish this in Frodo's name. I like, can't wait to see if Frodo magically has a backpack next movie. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I feel like he does. <laughs> And I'm, I'm mad about it. I guess ultimately when it comes down to the timeline, I wish it were as clean cut as it is in the book. Yeah, because the book just tells you. Yeah. The dates are in the back of the book if you feel confused. <laughs> uh, but like trying to figure out like positions of the sun and like dialogue snippets, especially because they deviate so much from the book. Yeah. Uh, and then, I still feel like I need a chart with like yarn and index cards to figure right? it out. And then we have stuff like dialogue with Faramir and his lieutenant clearly implying they arrived in Osgiliath from the east, 
when they clearly oh arrived God, in Osgiliath. You're still hung up on that. They're in the west, and they clearly <laughs> arrived in Osgiliath from the east, because Minas Tirith is to the west of Osgiliath, and it's in the background of that shot. My business is with Isengard tonight, even though the sun is in the sky. Well, that implies that it's, like, <laughs> getting closer to sunset when he says that, but then it takes all night for them to get to Isengard. I don't and know, then man. all day to wreck it. Yeah. I'm gonna wreck it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna wreck it! <laughs> but that's, I don't know, that's that's timeline stuff. Yeah. It's, like, a little more... There's so much, there's so much more for Return of the King. Oh, man. <laughs> well, because, like, we have an even longer battle. Right. And Shelob... And Shelob and ghost ghost warriors. Right, right. And Elrond showing up. Oh, yeah. Here's this magical sword. Sorry I There's lied Andrew. to your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Arwen's gone. Here's the sword. I feel bad. She guilted me into helping you, I guess. You know, I have a... I'm thinking about it, so I'm going to say it. Like... Does Elrond actually have a hand in reforging that sword, or did Elvin Smith do it while he watched? I don't know. Like, that's a question I have. Is he, like, good at weaponsmithing? I don't know. He has a forge in Rivendell, apparently. Well, he must. He's a king. Or a lord. Yeah. A lord. But, I don't know. That's something to speculate on next time. Hmm. Well... Uh, we're from the website DuelingGenre.com. Check out some of the other Dueling Genre Movies by Minutes podcasts. For example, we are on Cornetto Minute this week, talking about Kate Kate Blanchett's eyes and other stuff. Two two Lord of the Rings cameos in that movie. Firing our gun up into the air and saying, ah. (laughs) (laughs) For the greater good. For the greater good. Um... So that was a lot of fun. I didn't intend it to be like a like a lap like an overlapping week, but that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um. So listen to that. They're just getting started on Hot Fuzz, and that's going to be a a fun season. Yeah, because it's the best movie. Well, I haven't seen World's End. World's End's fun. So that's the best movie of the three that I have seen. <laughs> um, and we'll be back tomorrow to talk about. Uh, something that we had talked about previously, but it got eaten by our computer. So I'm looking forward to talking about yeah, it again. And it was like a 40 minute discussion that got eaten. And then when we re-recorded the episode, we're just like, we're just going to save that. We'll talk about that at the end. <laughs> Screw this. But yeah, we're finally getting around to it. Uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying our little wind up week, wind down week, wrap up week. Wind up week would be like doing something before Return of the King drops. I mean... We're going to be doing a theatrical review not much longer here yeah. for the Patreon feed. So Yeah, because the anniversary of the release is soon. It's, it's in like week, two, two weeks. weeks. Yeah, right back right back at the grindstone. I guess we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about Elrond and his swordsmithing skills in like two weeks for those of you who support us on Patreon. Yeah. And a little longer for those of you who don't. <laughs> a little longer. Maybe a lot longer. It's going to be a while. <laughs> It'll be in the main feed eventually, just not when we post it for Patreon. Um, and we'll be back tomorrow. Have a good Wednesday. We're halfway there. It is Wednesday, my dudes. Oh, man. Uh, bye. Bye.
genre.